Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Tuesday, May 16th starts now. On today's show, making his return to the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may know him as the 35th Ward Alderman from Chicago. You may now also know him as the City Council Floor Leader and Zoning Committee Chairman. We're talking to Carlos Ramirez Rosa. The Ben Jarofsky Show brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and so much more. And if you love Ben Jarofsky, I know you do. That's why you're here. All you have to do to find more of him, just go to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling the Soul of Chicago Tuesday, and here's why. Oh, come on. I think you all know why. <laughs> Today is Tuesday. Yesterday is Monday. That was the day that Mayor Brandon Johnson was sworn in. I guess Brandon Johnson was sworn in as mayor. 57th, I think. 57th mayor of the city of Chicago. Uh, I'm old, but I'm not old enough to remember, like, the first 50 or whatever there were. Uh, so don't ask me to recite them, ladies and gentlemen, in order. And, uh, wow, what a great moment. What a great moment for an old lefty like myself uh, watching that inauguration. I've now watched it. Okay, a little moment of confession here. (laughs) Don't make fun of me. Twice. Okay, I've watched it twice. I went back and watched it again. Uh, I guess you could say I was watching it again to prepare for the show. But in reality, I probably would have watched it again anyway. My favorite moments. I'm going to share with you a few of my favorite moments uh, and then my uh, distinguished guest, uh, Alderman Carlos Merz Rosa, will, sh- will uh, chime in with some of his favorite moments and we'll have the conversation. But if I'm going to count them down, you know, like, uh, what is it like you go from five to one? Uh, I think uh, if I could, I think it's five moments that I had. Maybe it's four. Uh, number four or five. I'm not too good with this counting list number, as Dennis used to say, number five, five, five was the moment where they introduced uh, the clerk read the role. Uh, and they introduced the alderman. <laughs> and it brought back so many memories of high school graduations that I have attended down through the years, where <laughs> the principal says, now I want you to hold your applause until the end. <laughs> Everybody's gotten their diplomas. Because there's some kids that, like, you know, they don't have anybody there. You know what I mean? And so it's not really cool. Like, let's say Carlos, his whole family is there, his uncles, his aunts. They're going to go cheer for him, right? Well, Benny's family, no one's there. No one's going to cheer for Benny. So, you know, you hold your applause. But, oh, no, that rambunctious crowd in the UIC, that rambunctious bunch of lefties, they could not restrain themselves. And as the as the roll call went on, the cheering, they got more and more into it. And then they suddenly started favoring, favoring certain aldermen <laughs> or alders and not favoring certain others. Raylo, 
you know, Raylo, let me just say this. 15th Ward, Alderman Raymond Lopez, been a guest on this show. I've known him forever. If I had been there, Raylo, even though you and I are as far apart in the ideological spectrum as you can be, I would have cheered for you, all right? <laughs> it was really cold. Oh, come on, man. Raylo had one of the greatest exchanges with Lori Lightfoot. One of the greatest exchanges ever in the history of Chicago politics. We played it millions of times. Maybe Carlos was there. It was a meeting that should have been open, but for some reason it was closed uh, right after George Floyd's murder and, and, and rust, unrest that happened in the summer of 2020. So he should have been cheered for that moment. Oh, come on, lefties. <laughs> By the way, Carlos was right up there for the number one cheer. And that's society most popular uh, in the class of 2023. Carlos Ramirez Rosa. No, actually, Rosanna. No, Jeanette Taylor, JT. Got the biggest cheer, Carlos and Rosanna. Oh, by the way, frequent guests on the Ben show. So that was really a big favorite of mine. What else? I got to admit, ladies and gentlemen, I'm a sucker and a sap. When Lori Lightfoot uh, went over to shake hands with Brandon Johnson and he hugged her and, he, and she hugged him back, I got to admit, I got a little choked up. At that moment, I just want to say this to all my MAGA friends. That's how you do it, MAGA. You know, you win some, you lose some. You know what I mean? When you lose an election, you congratulate the next person. You don't sit there and cry. You don't storm the Capitol. You don't say it was stolen. You don't file phony lawsuits. You know what I'm saying? You don't get you don't call up the secretary of state of Georgia and ask him to throw away the votes that have to be thrown away if you're going to win. You know what I'm saying, MAGA? That's how you do it. It's called a democracy. Small D. You get ready for the next election. Not that MAGA's paying attention. And they're never going to learn anything. What else? What's another favorite moment of mine? Well, there was that moment, of course, the actual swearing in, Tim Evans. Wow, what a moment that is, man. I've lived so long, Carlos. Tim Evans, when I moved to town, he was an alderman. He was a machine alderman. And he was Harold Washington's floor leader. Harold looked the other way. The fact that Tim Evans didn't endorse him in 1983, went with Jane Byrne in that first round. But Harold said, you know, I need, I'm looking for the best like people I have in the city council. I can't be particularly choosy. So he didn't punish him. Interesting. So maybe a lesson we can all learn going into this next city council. And he made him his floor leader. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Timothy Evans changed, transformed himself into this great, quote unquote, independent reformer type, which is kind of a joke of anybody who was in Chicago before the 1983 election. Anyway, the historical fact. Uh, and I was like, had that moment where like all the greats of Chicago were watching in my mind. And I'm like my Mount Rushmore, my particular Mount Rushmore of greats. And that, of course, is uh, Leon Dupre. Greatest alderman the city of Chicago has ever had, stood up to Daly all those years. Uh, Ralph Metcalf, the great congressman who broke for Mayor Daly on the issue of police brutality way back in the 70s. Look it up, ladies and gentlemen. And of course, uh, the great Harold Washington, greatest mayor the city of Chicago has ever had. And then my personal favorite, I think Carlos is as well, the great Karen Lewis. Without Karen Lewis, there would be no movement in this century that launched the well, political career, Brandon Johnson. So I had this feeling that they were all, um, they were all staring down uh, at that moment. So I got a little teary-eyed there, ladies and gentlemen. I won't, I won't lie to you. This old, <laughs> this old baby boomer started tearing up. Uh, but my actual favorite moment of the whole day, the whole inauguration, came during the speech, uh, and it was one sentence. 
that Brandon Johnson said. And so this goes, uh, let me just take you back to last week uh, as we were preparing for the inauguration. I read this article. Uh, where was it? I think it was WBEZ. And uh, one of the, the mayor's deputy chief of staff said something along the lines of, well, we haven't decided if we're going to reopen the mental health clinics. Nothing's promised. We're still assessing things. And folks, I was like a blow to the stomach. Are you kidding me? This is like one of the bedrock issues that this movement was founded on. Carlos Ramirez Rosa knows what I'm talking about. He was just a kid in 2011 when Mayor Rahm closed those clinics. He wasn't even an alderman yet. He was three or four years out of Whitney Young High School. Still working for Louis Gutierrez as like a volunteer or whatever the hell you did for Louis. I don't know what you did for Louis. And like the movement to re the fight against closing the clinics was enormous. And then, you know, Rom didn't care. Didn't wouldn't even meet with the protesters. Then the movement to reopen them has just been like rejected time and time again by Rom and Lori Lightfoot. Brandon Johnson pledged to reopen them. Now he's like backing off. Oh my God. It was like, are you kidding me? What's next? Closing schools? Well, folks. <laughs> A little off the ledge at the moment. <laughs> I went nuts on Friday. Uh, I just was talking about it. And one of our listeners sent me, made a song about it, which is pretty funny. Michael Girardi, shout out Michael Girardi. He he heard me ranting and raving about the clinics and put a song about it where I was like the spurn lover whose heart was broken by Brandon Johnson. It's actually a pretty <laughs> funny song. Um, but I'm so happy. Of all the things that happened yesterday with this one line that Brandon Johnson delivered in his speech, producer Chris, could you please play that one line? Thank you. Including reopening our mental health care centers across the city of Chicago. Thank you, producer Chris. I think that may have gotten the most cheers of the day, even more cheers than Jeanette Taylor got, even more cheers than Carlos Ramirez Rosa and Rosanna Rodriguez got. Well, apparently, I am not alone. And by the way, before I bring on Carlos, I saw this in political today. Carlos, I almost passed out when I saw this. Let me call it up and read it to you. So Politico was dedicated to covering the um, Shia Capo shout, shout out to covering the inauguration. And she wrote, even the Chicago GOP, GOP Republicans, congratulated Johnson, focusing on the mayor's proposed reopening of more mental health clinics in Chicago, quote, as they can not only assist in improving lives, but they could potentially head off crime by those in need of treatment, according to a statement. Hey. Mayor Johnson, even the Republicans know you got to reopen those clinics. I know there's a lot of neoliberals out there. I know the Tribune and Cranes and all the businessmen in Chicago are like, Harumph, we need that money for our LaSalle development projects. But come on, I think we all know the right thing to do is reopen the clinics. All right, without further ado, he's been patiently waiting. Uh, Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa, 35th Ward. He's now Brandon Johnson's floor leader. He's probably will soon be the chair of the zoning committee. They haven't confirmed that yet. Welcome back to the show, Carlos. Hey, how's it going, Benny? Uh, all right. So before we get into the mental health clinics and uh, some of the specific issues today, just your general thoughts 
about well, you know, I gotta say, um, it was nice uh being applauded uh when your name is uh announced. I gotta say, I think it was a lot of Ben Jarofsky show listeners in the audience, just thousands of them. Um, because like you said, if you look at who is getting the most applause, it lines up with who are your regular guests. So I just want to thank you for all the times you brought me on, uh, you know, build that uh relationship with your loyal listeners. Um, but but I think, you know, my favorite moment uh, in the inauguration was the same as yours, um, to hear a mayor reaffirm uh, his commitment to enact the progressive policies that are going to improve the lives of Chicagoans, uh, particularly the most vulnerable, to hear him talk about Bring Chicago Home, the proposal to raise the real estate transfer tax on properties that sell for over a million dollars, to generate needed revenue to get people off the streets and into housing, to hear him reaffirm his commitment to the treatment, not trauma proposal, and not just, you know, reaffirm these issues, but also give shout outs and call outs to the organizers who have been pivotal to move this forward. Because our new mayor has consistently said, it's not just him that's in the fifth floor, it is the movement that elected him that is now occupying the fifth floor. And so there is no movement without the grassroots. Um, and I think it was just so beautifully on display at yesterday's inauguration ceremony. Uh, prior to the start of the ceremony itself, the various union members that were seated, thousands of them were chanting, you know, CTU was chanting, SEIU was chanting. And so it was just really great to see working people, to see union members feel empowered uh, and feel as if their values, their cause is finally reflected and championed by those in power in the mayor's office and in the city council. So it was truly beautiful. Of course, all of the musical performances were absolutely top notch, um, really moving um, so I think it was a really great, good start uh, to what should be a really great term uh, for the entire city. And uh, as a older person, uh, I I'd like to hear you reflect on the contrast. I know we're all supposed to be feeling uh, uh, warm and fuzzy about Lori Lightfoot these days because she's now no longer the mayor. So you have that feeling of nostalgia. Um, I think she got a standing O. And, uh, but what a contrast, uh, between the way Brandon turned to the Chicago city council that this assembled behind him, all the older people, uh, and said, I want to work with you. If we, sometimes we disagree, you know, uh, which, which is a line I use on the show all the time with my guests. Many times I disagree, but we're, I'm still going to talk to you. Uh, and as opposed to four years ago, when Lori Lightfoot took the opportunity to chide them, embarrass them, pretend as though every single member of the Chicago City Council was like Ed Burke. Uh, talk about that, that contrast. You know, to this day, I don't know who was advising Lori Lightfoot to do that. Um, the City Council has to work with the mayor and the mayor has to work with the City Council. Nothing uh, will move forward without collaboration between uh, these two bodies. And I think that um, whoever advised the mayor to turn around four years ago at her inauguration ceremony and chastise the alderman um, was not her friend. It was not thinking clearly uh, when they put that into the speech. Perhaps, uh, you know, she uh, put it in there on her own. But, um, you know, my colleague, Alderwoman Rosana Rodriguez, she was in the Sun-Times, the bright one uh, today. And what she said was that she was really moved by the difference between Mayor Johnson's inaugural address and Mayor Lightfoot's inaugural address. And specifically, she said, I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but I think it's very clear that Johnson has a willingness to collaborate and that he will make space for disagreements. That's something we didn't have with Mayor Lightfoot. And so with Mayor Lightfoot, it was my way or the highway. 
And if you weren't going her way, then you were corrupt. You were dumb. You were dirt. You were the lowest of the low. You needed to be chastised. You needed to have a website made about you. Uh, of course, after her first uh, budget passed, she made a website attacking those uh, that voted no. But the mayor made it clear, like, if you disagree with me, I'm going to trust and I'm going to assume good intentions. I'm going to believe that you want what's best for the city. It's just that you believe that we get to what's best for the city following a different path. And if we have views in terms of how we're trying to get to where we're trying to go, I'm going to try and find that common ground. Um, it's something that that is so basic and simple, um, so much so that it can even sound cliche. But I think given the past four years that we've experienced, it really is necessary to reaffirm that commitment to collaboration. And I think it's also important for people to understand that that is intrinsic to Brandon as an individual, as an organizer, right? His entire trajectory is working with people, oftentimes working with them and facing great odds and still finding a path forward and finding a way to get things done. That's how he went down to Springfield as an organizer with the Chicago Teachers Union to pass legislation to improve our public schools. That's how he operated on the County Board of Commissioners, bringing people together to pass major legislation at the county level. And he's now bringing that same spirit to his position as the fifth floor. Uh, and I'm really excited because I get to reflect that uh, as his floor leader. Right. Um, every mayor traditionally has selected a floor leader that is a council member who is close to the mayor, but is close to the mayor in order to help move forward the progressive agenda uh, that the, the mayor is setting forward. So I'm really excited um, to move forward with treatment, not trauma, to move forward with Bring Chicago Home. Uh, it is truly a new day in the city of Chicago. So let's talk about you as floor leader. I have a whole list of things I want to go through. Uh, so let let me just say them right now so I don't forget them. Reorganization, mental health, uh, zoning executive order, asylum seekers. Do not let this show end without us hitting on all of those. Okay, Carlos, mm -hmm. sometimes I go on tangent, as you know. I've <laughs> been a guest on the show many times. Uh, but as floor leader, here's a tangent I wasn't even thinking of. Like, how will that work? I remember when Mick Dumkey and I uh, got a hold of um, uh, the mayor, Mayor Rahm, it was his, his calendar. Uh, we foiled it and Mick foiled it. I got to give him credit. Uh, and we went through like who we met with and when and got a sense of what the kind of mayor he was. Uh, and on the days of city council meetings, there was a certain group of aldermen that Rahm would meet with. Uh, and they were his, quote unquote, his team. Uh, Pat O'Connor was one of them. <laughs> Ed Burke. Uh, so how will it work, do you think, with Brandon Johnson and yourself? Uh, we, is, will it be a day of the meeting, a day of a, a city council meeting get together where you plot what you guys want to do, uh, sort of outline what you want to do or be before that? How do you how do you uh, think it's going to work? Yeah, well, you know, any organizer tells you that you don't go, you don't go into a meeting until you have a pre-meeting. Right. You want to sit down and discuss. And that's the funny thing is, is that Rahm Emanuel, as much as we disagree with him, he was a good organizer, right? He knew how to bring people together, sit down, hash out a plan to move forward. And then you go with your team into the bigger meeting and you execute that plan that you came up with. Um, so I think that a lot of those um, same approaches uh, will be used. Um, obviously, I think that um, at the onset, you're going to have to talk more. Uh, you're going to have to uh, really figure out uh, the, the cadence to uh, your working relationship. And then hopefully once things uh, are up and running, then it can kind of be like a, you know, well-oiled machine um, where you don't need as much uh, checking in because you kind of already know the direction that you're all headed in. Um, and, and folks can be counted on, on to do what needs to happen. 
Um, so yeah, this is a new role for me. Um, now, the way that I kind of think of it is um, I've already been bringing my colleagues together to pass major legislation over my past eight years in the city council. That's how we passed the welcoming city ordinance amendments to make sure that city officials and CPD could not work with ICE in any case, no exception. That's how we passed the empowering communities for public safety ordinance, which led to the historic election of 66 district councilors. It's how I worked with uh, Alderwoman Rosana Rodriguez to pass the bodily autonomy sanctuary city ordinance. On those issues, we faced opposition. And more than often, we did not have the mayor behind us backing us up. Right, helping us use the carrots and sticks that the mayor's office has to whip votes for our progressive legislation and agenda. So I feel really confident, I feel really good. If we were able to pass historic major legislation to improve people's lives while swimming against the current, and so much of the current in City Hall is set by the mayor's office, then I'm really excited um, to, to take on this role and to continue to whip votes and move that agenda. But now with the current of the mayor's office, you know flowing uh, together uh, in unison. Um, I, I think one of the interesting dynamics is going to be that for the past three decades, the mayor's agenda, Daly, Rahm, Lori, has so often lined up with the agenda of the most powerful special interests in the city of Chicago. And so now what happens when you have a progressive mayor like Brandon Johnson? When you have new progressive city council members, when you have a progressive floor leader like myself, and we say, all right, we're going to raise the real estate transfer tax on properties that sell for over a million dollars, right, which is a critical component of our agenda. And you have some of the most powerful real estate and development interests on the other side of the table whipping votes against us. Um, so I think that this is really going to be a test of our coalition. Um, but at the end of the day, despite knowing that we're not going to have the easiest path and we're not going to have it as easy as previous administrations, we're embarking on this together because we know it's what the people of the city of Chicago need. We need to get housing for the 65,000 people that are homeless. The migrants that are arriving are in need of housing as well. And the only way we're going to accomplish that is if we raise the revenue necessary to build housing and to get people off the floors, off of the streets and into a dignified home. Um, so, so I'm excited for this challenge. It's going to be a lot of work, uh, but this is what we signed up for. Uh, yeah. And uh uh when you were uh talking there i just flashed back to us i think it was the sun times an article that ran last week they all kind of blurred together uh carlos but they were talking about having how that you were going to be now uh the chair of the zoning committee and the floor leader uh and they were trying to depict you as a radical mm -hmm. uh and they talked about like teardowns uh in uh like your neck of the woods, Logan Square, et cetera, the gentrifying areas of the, the near west side, near northwest side, I should say, uh, and how there's uh, developers who do teardowns have to pay a certain amount of money uh, for tearing down what was like a, like a one-unit home and building a multi-story. And they made it sound like really radical socialism. I'm thinking, this has been the practice of the city of Chicago under Daly and Rom. This is what downtown, when you upzone, you have to pay a fee to upzone. You know what I mean? And they can, it's an alternative to making, uh, low, uh, to providing actual affordable housing, I might add. And they called it like a public private partnership when Daly uh, and Rom did it. But when Carlos, the radical, does it, it's socialism. Be, be afraid, Chicago. And I think Brandon's going to be up against that. And you as well, and Rosanna, and everybody else uh, who's in a position to, uh, you know, to implement what's been on the lefty agenda for all these years. Are you worried about that? Are you, are you, 
Do you know how? You to know, I mean, I, I think I think it is what it is. Um, having been in elected office now for eight years, um, headlines, particularly in this day and age, they're churned out <laughs> by the minute. You know, there, there are some people that are writing three articles a day. God bless them. Um, at the end of the day, it's going to be what we delivered for our communities uh, that is going to be judged by the people that sent us here uh, to work for them. And they will see whether or not we have delivered for them. They will see whether or not we have reopened mental health clinics. Those are things uh, that, you know, <laughs> transcend and are bigger than any one individual headline. Uh, that uh, that is, uh, you know, in, in one small article. So um, I'm, I'm not too worried um, about uh, the press because I know that at the end of the day, um, we have a huge coalition of progressive labor unions, of grassroots community groups, of people who in the city of Chicago have been waiting for this moment. In many instances, decades since Harold Washington passed. Um, so I'm, I'm, I feel like we are really well situated to act and move on our agenda. And I'll say that the story you were saying about, you know, Judge Evans, who oh, I love Judge Evans, I love the work that he's done uh, around restorative justice and around criminal justice reform. But I didn't know that prior to Harold, he was not a progressive. <laughs> and that just really reminds me that elections have consequences. And I can't tell you the number of people that in the past week that I've been at odds with for the past eight years, They've been calling me for the past week and telling me, hey, by the way, I hope you know that I'm progressive. Uh, everyone's having their coming out party. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. We want to welcome these people to our movement. We want to welcome them and say, absolutely, whether you were here with us yesterday or today or you're going to be with us tomorrow, we want you to be with us because it's going to take a lot of us coming together to tackle these challenges that the city faces. I'm with you on that one. Eric Adams, uh, I don't want to go far afield. This is where the tangents come. Also, I'm going to be focused and disciplined, uh, Carlos. I'm not going to go down New York City politics. But Eric Adams, uh, the mayor of New York, uh, calls himself a progressive. And there was just an article uh, in the newspaper, the New York Times, the other day about lefties in New York upset that Eric Adams calls himself a progressive. Everybody wants to be a progressive. It's the cool, hip thing to do. All right, let's talk about... Um, the mental health clinics. Um, I, I began uh, w with the recalling how upset I was when I saw that article in, um, I think it was WBZ, Tessa Weinberg, I give her a shout out. She was the one who did the story with the interview uh, with Zayas, the deputy uh, chief of staff saying, well, everything's on the table. We haven't made any commitments. And I'm like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. I just, wow, what is this, Lori Lightfoot too? Uh, but then the, the um, his, clear statement by mayor johnson yesterday in the speech um do you think this is going to be a reality carlos did you share my apprehension when you saw that article uh in the paper let's you, you know um the thing about uh christina Pacioni's is she's a good friend of mine she's my state senator i've known her uh since my days in champagne uh, i spoke to her when that uh, article uh came out uh she felt as if the full context of her statement was not reflected in what was printed. Um, you know, my, my good friend, Christina, she is a PhD. And um, I think that, you know, she oftentimes will uh, go into a lot of detail. And sometimes uh, reporting is not uh, necessarily, uh, you know, um, set up to uh, lend itself to that level of, of detail or nuance. 
Um, it's, it's a reason why when we do media training for activists and organizers, we say, figure out what's your three sentences that you want the media to print, and then you just repeat that over and over and over and over and over again. <laughs> so that when the article comes out, no one's saying, wait, what the heck? Well, I didn't mean that, or that was taken out of context. Um, so so I, I think that um, that was a hiccup. Again, I'm not, I'm not going to you know, worry about one headline because at the end of the day, this mayor has made it consistently clear from his platform to his own interview with BEZ some weeks ago uh, to his speech yesterday. He has made it clear that reopening the mental health clinics is critical to his public safety plan. And at the end of the day, there's a movement that's going to hold him and it's going to hold me and it's going to hold the entire city council accountable to fulfill that pledge that people have been fighting for since Ram shuttered those clinics. Um, so I, I'm confident that we're going to get it done. And in terms of my role as floor leader, this is at the top of the list. Um, in terms of the conversations that I've had with uh, Mayor Johnson and uh, with his uh, you know, core team, uh, this is at the top of the list in terms of uh, what needs to get done uh, in this administration. All right. Well, I just have to say I made a bet uh, with a lefty. I'm always making bets, which I lose. Uh, <laughs> I made a bet with a lefty who I'll, I'll call Cheesehead because this unfortunate soul is, uh, somehow or other is a Green Bay Packer fan. I don't know how that happened. I think he was dropped on his head as an infant. Anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, and uh, he the deal is this. You know, when Mayor Brandon Johnson reopens those clinics, presuming that he does reopen those clinics, I will have to show up at the reopening ceremony with a Green Bay Packer hat on. So uh, I, <laughs> I hate then, we, then we're going to say, sir, the services are, are here, available to you. Uh, <laughs> ben Jirofsky showed up with a weird hat on. <laughs> this is a cry for help. That is a cry for help me wearing a Packer hat. I really hope, as much as I cannot stand the Green Bay Packers and as much as I love my beloved Chicago Bears, uh, even if they are trying to uh, hold up the public with, for a handout for their stadium that they don't need, uh, I will happily wear the Green Bay Packer hat if it means the clinics are finally reopened. All right. Uh, and I know Cheese has is listening, and he will hold me to that. All right, let's move on. Let's see what else is on my list. Reorganization of the Chicago City Council. I think the last time we were in your show, you were talking about the last reorganization of yes. the Chicago City yes. Council, the one that occurred the week before the election, before we knew if Vallis or Johnson would be our next mayor. Uh, subsequently, there's been a second reorganization, which, of course, is not official until it's approved by the City Council. Um so why don't you talk? I know you were very active in both of those reorganizations. Talk about what happened, what went down for the second reorganization. Go ahead. Yeah. So on March 30th, the Chicago City Council, uh, for the first time in modern history, uh, voted on a proposal on how to reorganize the city council in the 2023 to 2027 term. So this term that started yesterday. And that proposal included 28 committees uh, split uh, between the various uh, racial and uh, ideological uh, caucuses of the Chicago City Council. Uh, and um, it included um, a committee on sanitation. It included a uh, committee on the fire, a committee on aging, a committee on youth. Um, and that proposal was made with the expectation 
that once a mayor was elected, right, whether it was Vallis or Johnson on April 4th, that there would be mayoral input. Uh, the proposal that was voted on March 30th was incomplete. It did not include committee membership roles, and it did not include funding. Uh, so uh, you cre we created a committee, but there was no funding attached to it. So in essence, what are you going to do, right? You have no staff to be able to, to staff or to draft policy or, or to move a conversation forward. So the, the expectation was always that there would be uh, mayoral input. And on April 5th, we knew that the winner, uh, actually late in the evening, not even late in the evening, early in the evening in terms of politics, we knew the winner was Brandon Johnson. Um, and, and then the mayor started uh, working on uh, input uh, that he wanted to provide. And so the updated proposal, uh, the unity plan, uh, reflects the mayor's input. I would say by my estimate, it's 70 to 80% of what the council proposed uh, in terms of who's chairing committees, in terms of, uh, you know, which committees exist um, in terms of the diversity. There are Dallas supporters, there are Johnson supporters, there are people that were neutral. Um, but what is that 30 to 20% change from what the council proposed? Well, that's the mayor's handprint. Uh, and that's the mayor uh, providing input to set up a structure that better lends itself to moving forward the agenda that he was elected to enact. Um, so for example, uh, it creates a revenue subcommittee of the finance committee because revenue is going to be key towards figuring out how we uh, fund our, our city's liabilities while at the same time continuing to provide vital services. It creates a youth uh, development, a youth employment uh, committee of the workforce development committee. Uh, so this subcommittee will focus in on providing uh, young people jobs to make sure uh, that we are providing them alternatives uh, to, um, you know, uh, violence uh, in our communities. So I, I think that um, it's it's a really great proposal. Um, you and the public wouldn't know about it if it didn't have the votes. Um, so of course, as, as a floor leader, I think a proposal is great when it has the votes. Uh, and uh, I, I think that it, it just really reflects the diversity of our city council. And what I really like about it is that in the prior proposal, progressives made up about a third of committee chairs. In this updated proposal, we're about half of committee chips. Mm. Uh, and so I, I think that this structure really lends itself to moving forward our progressive agenda uh, while making sure that there's diversity in the council's leadership and that many people have a seat at the table uh, and that we're all working collaboratively to get things done. Uh, well, as you pointed out, uh, everybody thinks they're a progressive these days. So uh, <laughs> I think he's a progressive these days. Uh, uh, one, I saw one uh, criticism uh, in today's uh, bright one. Uh, Alderman David Moore uh, said he appreciated Johnson's calls for development of South and West Sides, but the new mayor's call for inclusivity rang hollow. Uh, uh, quote, you've got to be inclusive of everyone, including the city council. So he needs to go back and tear down what they did in terms of going behind closed doors and setting up these new city council committees, because not all city council people were involved in it, says David Moore. Uh, who was left out of Johnson's leadership plan. Your reaction to David Moore's comments? Well, I, I think, um, you know, there was a plan that was passed uh, March 30th, the proposal that we've talked about. Um, Alderman Moore uh, was not slated for a committee chairmanship uh, in that proposal. In the updated unity plan uh, that reflects the mayor's input and the council's input, uh, Alderman Moore is, is not slated uh, for a leadership position uh, there. Um, 
I, I think that a lot of these processes occurred through the Black Caucus, through the Latino Caucus, through the Progressive Caucus. A lot of those conversations in terms um, you know, who uh, we saw in leadership, I'm not privy to the conversations that happened within the Black Caucus. Uh, I can't speak to uh, what occurred there. Um, but I have a lot of respect for my colleague, Alderman David Moore. Um, I, I think that you know, there's a lot of merit to this proposal and there was a lot of consultation um, you know, from the council. And ultimately, this proposal doesn't pass unless at least 25 plus the mayor vote for it. And it's got well past 26 votes from the Chicago City Council. Um, so, so ultimately, this does reflect what the council wants because it has the votes to pass. Uh, and, and no one is being forced uh, to vote for this, right? If you don't like it, don't vote for it. Um, but if you think that it's a good proposal, uh, if you think that it reflects the diversity of the city, if you think that it helps bring us together to get things done and to not have gridlock uh, after the past four years of, of a very chaotic city hall, I think we're all looking forward uh, to having unity. Um, if, if you think it's a good proposal, then vote for it. And, and the good news is, is that the vast majority of the city council thinks it's a good proposal and is, is prepared to vote for it. That's a very important point. Uh, yeah, like glad you said 25, because that's all you need. It's one of my favorite themes. You know, Ron got on this whole thing where he wanted 48 votes or 49 votes. It looked ridiculous. It's twisting arms just to bring it. Like, I don't know what that was all about, what psychological thing that was all about. Anyway, I'm not a, I'm not a therapist. I'm going to leave it alone. Uh, you only need 25 because, as Carlos mentioned, the, the mayor gets to be like Kamala Harris. I think most Americans have learned how this works in the Senate and provide the uh, the the 26 vote. Uh, that's how it did what happened with Harold. He was the 26th vote uh, after he took control of the city council. So um, you only so are you saying for certain you have at least 25 votes lined up for this? Council? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're well we're, we're past that. Yeah. Okay. So I think um, I think that I, I don't expect many very uh, I don't expect many, many no votes on this proposal. And again, I, th I think it's a I think the reason why is because it's a phenomenal proposal. You have ballast supporters, you have Johnson supporters, you have, uh, you know, people who were neutral. Uh, you have the first uh, black woman to chair the finance committee. You have the first Latina to chair a committee with Rosana Rodriguez leading the health and human relations committee. Uh, you have one of the strongest champions for housing justice, Byron Sancho Lopez leading the housing committee. Um, you have Daniel Espada. Mr. Uh, bike Rider himself leading the Pedestrian and Traffic Safety Committee. I mean, if you want to talk about having people who have expertise on these issues, you have Diet Hunger Striker Jeanette Taylor leading the Education Committee. Um, so, so you see the diversity of the city. You see people who have been working really hard as older people to bring their expertise and to bring their background into policymaking. And they are now in positions where they're going to be able to do even more of that really good work. So, um, yeah, I, I obviously uh, think it's a it's a great proposal and, uh, you know, it, it would not have been announced publicly if it didn't have the votes necessary uh, to pass because, uh, you know, we're not going to float something out there and then it gets all <laughs> blown up. So um, so like I, I think that this era that we're in is going to require new frameworks, uh, a new way of understanding and viewing the world. When we as progressives talked about council independence, we talked about council independence because we had mayors who were pushing 
neoliberal policies that we were opposed to. So we wanted the council to serve as a check on that mayor. Um, why would we be fighting the mayor if the mayor's leading the progressive charge? And I think that's something that, that people are, are beginning to grasp and understand is that from the perspective of myself as a Democratic Socialist and a progressive, Brandon Johnson is a militant labor union leader who came into office because he's an organizer, because he has a body of work as a progressive. And I have every reason to trust him that he's going to act on that progressive agenda. Now, if he suddenly becomes Rahm Emanuel, right? <laughs> then, yeah, the conversation changes, yeah. right? But, but I think that um, what people need to understand is that, um, you know, we don't want independence for independence sake, right? The Verdoliac 29 were independent of Harold Washington, and it was bad for the city of Chicago because it was a racist assault on this black progressive mayor who wanted to push forward an agenda that was in the interests of everyone, particularly the most vulnerable. Yeah. So we have a mayor now who's pushing an agenda that's in the interests of everyone, particularly the most vulnerable, and we're gonna stand with him, we're gonna support him, we're gonna fight alongside him. Uh, and, and I think that uh, it's gonna be really important for all of us to come together uh, to deliver the, the change that Chicago so desperately needs. No, I, you're, you're made a good point. In other words, in the abstract, the notion of city council independence as an independent legislative body uh, is very attractive. I mean, we do, are supposed to have, you know, a check and a balance system, and that's what it's all about. Uh, but the reality is <laughs> in the city of Chicago, they applauded it when it was a rubber stamp from some of the worst, dumbest ideas that you've ever heard. You watch, Carlos, the same people those same forces, they're not going anywhere. You know what I mean? Like right. when you, when, when that city council enacts some, uh, I'll call it, I won't call it lefty. I'll call it progressive legislation, uh, that people like me like and cheer, like, uh, bring Chicago home or something, or we'll reopen the mental health clinics. You get ready for the editorials in the Chicago Tribune and cranes and oh, rumpf, rubber stamp. We need in independence. So, uh, yeah, I, I understand the game that's being played. Here. You, you know right. what I think is really interesting is on this last thing on council independence is, um, you know, people often point to the parking meter deal, right? Isn't this an instance when we needed a city council that would have checked the mayor? Absolutely, yes. But check him to what end? Check him to oppose the worst impulses of neoliberalism. Our mayor ain't going to privatize the parking meter deals now. Our mayor came into office on a movement that fought privatization of public schools, that fought to invest in public systems of care. So that is this mayor's trajectory. Um, so I just, I, I'm not worried that we're gonna have a, you know, parking meter 2.0 because at its core, the parking meter deal was a neoliberal scheme to privatize a public asset and to turn it into something else that makes money for Wall Street. And this mayor's entire trajectory that we have, he's in office because he was elected to fight those types of neoliberal policies. Um, and, and as long as he is our organizer in chief in the fifth floor, fighting for the working people of the city of Chicago and standing up to privatization, of course, everyone that shares those values is going to stand with him and fight alongside him. All right, you mentioned uh, the parking meter deal. Uh, so I might as well close on this section of the uh, reorganization conversation with this. Uh, one of the five votes against it was Scotty Wagsback, 32nd Ward, uh, who was always on the outside uh, when it was Mayor Rahm and Mayor Daley. Uh, and then he got on the inside when uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot came around and he was finance chair. Uh, 
He was neutral in this last election. Had he listened to me, <laughs> which I always urge people not to, uh, I would have strongly urged him uh, to endorse Brandon Johnson, uh, but he didn't. He stayed neutral, and he was critical of Brandon Johnson. Uh, he was in that first reorganization that you alluded to that took place before the election, got to retain his finance chair. He was one of the organizers of that uh, effort. Uh, in the aftermath, he didn't get a chair, and uh, he was replaced by Pat Dowell, Alderman Pat Dowell, the third ward, who I believe voted for the parking meter. So there's irony and ironies and ironies there. Um, your thoughts on Scott Wagesback being replaced by Pat Dowell at Finance? Well, I've really gotten uh, to know Pat very well uh, over the past several months on the campaign trail, and I think that she is just uh, an amazing and talented individual. Obviously, I had already seen uh, her talents on display as the chair of the budget committee. And even before then, uh, as the human uh, relations committee chair, even when we didn't agree, she was always very fair. Uh, she was always very thoughtful. Um, she always listened. Um, but over the past several months, uh, where we both supported Brandon on the campaign trail, I've got to know her really well. So I'm really excited for her leadership. I'm really excited for the history that we're making uh, with the first black woman to serve as finance committee chair. Uh, I, I think that she's going to do a phenomenal job. Uh, and I know that even though her and, and, and the mayor don't see eye to eye on every single issue as it relates to the city finances, I know that she's gonna work to move uh, an agenda forward uh, that the mayor supports and that we collectively as a progressive movement support. So I'm very excited uh, to, to, to work with her in that capacity. Um, you know, in, ter in terms of uh, Alderman Wagspack, the most important job that we all have in that body is being the alderman of our ward. And um, and I will say that, um, you know, being a, a chair of a committee is a lot of responsibility. Uh, it's a lot additional uh, work. Uh, and uh, and and I think that perhaps he he may be uh, breathing a, a sigh of relief. <laughs> Um, because it's just it's a lot of work, uh, particularly uh, these committees uh, like the finance committee. So I don't know. I, I think you would have to bring him on uh, and hear what he has to say. Uh, I, I can't say more in terms of uh, that switch there. All right. Uh, now talk about the work zoning uh, committee. You're going to be the uh, uh, chair of the zoning uh, committee. Uh, you're replacing. Let's see. Uh, was it Tom Tunney? was the zoning chair. Yeah, I'm doing this off the top of my head. Tom Tunney of the 44th Ward, who really is a quintessential neoliberal. Uh, that's giving him a compliment. At least I think he's sliding closer and closer to MAGAism. Um, anyway, uh, he's not here, so I'll leave him alone. I mean, he's no longer in the city council, so I'll, leave. I'll stop picking on Tom Tunney. Um, I noticed the mayor. I don't know if you saw. Yeah, I'm, you sh I'm sure you must have seen this. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, as she was leaving office, signed an executive order dealing with zoning. And uh, it was a confusing executive order. I think most Chicagoans would have absolutely no idea what it does. If, if you were to force Chicagoans to read that executive order that she signed, I would guarantee I would think 95 percent of the Chicagoans would say, I have no idea what she's getting at. I don't know what she's doing. <laughs> And so, you know, you're dependent on like uh, reporters who go to lawyers. What does this mean? The lawyer explains it. The reporter then tries to distill what the lawyer says. It's pretty kind of funny how we get our news in the city of Chicago. Uh, 
I'll just ask you what the heck Lori Lightfoot was doing in that executive order, uh, how it will impact your role uh, now as zoning chair and, and zoning in uh, in general. Go ahead, Carlos. I, I don't think any mayor uh, in the history of the city has ever issued uh, so many executive orders on their last day in office. I think it's just on its face inappropriate. Um, I think Rom, his final executive order uh, was issued like something like 120 days before he left office. Um, you know, executive orders in theory are to be used sparingly uh, to ensure that policies are enacted uh, to advance uh, legislation that has already passed. Um, in this instance, uh, Mayor Lightfoot issued an executive order that directs the zoning administrator to investigate uh, aldermanic-led rezonings uh, in their wards. Now, this is the weird thing about that, and this is what tells me that, you know, I don't think she understood what was happening in the city of Chicago half the time. If you're an alderman and you want to rezone a property in your ward, the first person you have to go to is the zoning administrator. And they're going to engage you in a conversation about what it is that you're trying to do. And so by the very fact that this rezoning was introduced means that the zoning administrator was involved from day one in that rezoning. They looked at it. They studied it. They provided input. Some instances, the zoning administrator told me, I don't, I don't think that's appropriate. Or, you know, I, I, I think maybe this makes more sense, this zoning. So effectively, I guess she didn't understand that the zoning administrator <laughs> drafts the rezoning and is involved in moving the rezoning forward at the request of the alder person. Because she's saying, oh, zoning administrator, you have to investigate the zoning changes that you were already part of, that you already looked at, that you already revised and, and reviewed. Um, so it's just, it's a lot of nonsense. I think that she was just looking for ways to posture to say, I'm taking another stab at aldermanic prerogative. Similar, honestly, I think it's two interesting bookends to her all to her, you know, term in, in office. She does this big hoopla on day one of her administration, signing this executive order saying, I'm taking a stab at aldermanic prerogative, which basically all it said was that offices have to have a standardized way to review aldermanic requests. Wow, like welcome to <laughs> government 101. Um, but but now she issues this executive order on her last day where she says that the zoning administrator has to investigate these uh, aldermanic led down zones. It's, it's total nonsense. It makes absolutely no sense. The zoning administrator is already involved in drafting those ordinances. And two, the zoning administrator doesn't have staff or capacity to go back and, and do a thorough investigation of themselves. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think, um, I, I think that, that the executive orders, some of them that she issued do have a lot of merit, um, but you don't issue them the last day. I mean, perhaps maybe you you leave them as a note for your for your successor to say, hey, here are some things that I think, you know, would get you off to, at a good start. Um, and uh, but um, but yeah, I just. Um, wow, I'm just I'm glad we're turning the page. I'm so yeah. excited that now we have a Mayor Johnson. I'll just leave okay. it there. Yeah. And uh uh, a couple of things I want to respond to. One, uh, Mayor Rahm may not have uh, issued an executive or signed executive orders, but he gave a giant, more or less, executive order uh, when he, in his last meeting, 
got the city council talking about rubber stamps to approve a $1.3 billion handout for Lincoln Yard. Totally waste of money. Uh, that money would come in really handy right now to uh, if we were going to reopen mental health clinics uh, and uh, do things that people in Chicago really need and want or just fix potholes and broken bridges, et cetera, et cetera. If you want to put the money into, uh, you know, infrastructure. So that was, I, I think that move by Rom is worse than any executive order that uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot signed because you can't undo it. I could argue maybe NASCAR. We should, he, she, she's, she burdened <laughs> us with NASCAR. Uh, so that's pretty bad. Uh, but I, to the other point, um, aldermanic per, uh, prerogative or privilege. Um, God, Carlos, we've talked about this for four years. It's just like this made-up boogeyman that uh, Lori Lightfoot used to help get elected. I'm embarrassed for my lefties and liberals who signed on to it. Uh, you guys really got suckered on that one. Uh, and I would much rather have, I'll say this a million times, I've had a lot of disagreement with a lot of aldermen in the city of Chicago. I would much rather have an elected official who is obligated and is to meet with the people, get their votes, can be voted out of office. We have a lot of new aldermen, a lot of new alder people in the city council, Carlos. So democracy does work in the city of Chicago. I'd much rather have that person be the main, the person in charge, if you will, leading zoning changes than some unknown bureaucrat in city hall who is not uh, beholden to anyone but the mayor. So let's hope this whole made-up enemy of automatic privilege and prerogative or whatever they call it dies. Yeah. Well, well I'm, I'm here to tell you the war on aldermanic prerogative is over. Uh, <laughs> and and community voices won. To your point, elections have consequences. And the Chicago City Council has uh, one of the highest turnover rates of any legislative body in the country, much higher than uh, the United States Congress. About every four years, 25% plus of the city council uh, turns over. And voters hold their elected officials accountable on the local zoning and land use decisions uh, that are being made. Uh, if they don't like the way that that power is being used, if they perceive that the alder person is selling their position and their power and you know zoning changes are going to the highest campaign contributor, uh, they will vote them out of office. And we've seen that happen time and time again. Um, and, and to your point, I, as, as progressives, we don't want to... Um, we don't want authoritarianism, right, where some unelected bureaucrat uh, is making these uh, decisions that are going to impact our communities. Um, so, so I think, and I've actually uh, wrote a um, editorial about this, but, you know, the, the answer to aldermanic prerogative is not less democracy. It's actually more democracy. It's actually bringing more people into the conversation. That's what we do in the 35th Ward with our community-driven zoning and development process, which has been actually uh, seen as the uh, antidote to aldermanic prerogative. Uh, it's been studied by a lot of uh, experts across the country and locally, and they've said this is a model of how to promote uh, good land use uh, policy. Uh, and, and essentially what it is, is it's, it's popular education. We bring people together in the community and we talk about what is it that we would like to achieve? What do we think our community needs and how can we get there given the decisions or given uh, what's realistic ahead of us? Uh, and in my community, that has led to, uh, you know, uh, community benefits agreements 
uh, that require employers to pay more than the minimum wage. It's led to 100% affordable housing developments. It has led uh, to an increase in density. It has helped preserve uh, naturally occurring affordable housing. Um, so it has led to good outcomes. And we've done that not by reducing the amount of say that the community has um, or by stripping the local elected official of any decision-making authority. We've done that by bringing more people into the process and educating them about what good zoning and land use policy looks like in their neighborhood. Um, so, um, so yeah, I, I think that um, I'm committed as, uh, you know, the incoming uh, chair of the Zoning Landmarks and Building Standards uh, Committee, and I, I've expressed this to my colleagues, to respect them as their community's voice. Ultimately, they were elected to represent their community. Um, and, and look, there, there are going to be some instances where a project is, is really big, um, and, and therefore then the council and, and a coalition of allies may come together and say, this is too big to leave it up to just one alderman to decide. And we saw that uh, in uh, the 41st Ward, where the local alderman wanted to block a big affordable housing development and uh, a coalition of alder people and community groups came together and uh, enacted that zoning change to promote that development over the local alder person's objections. Um, so there's already precedent in the city council of people coming together. Um, but that's an example of more democracy. That's an example of including more voices and more people in the conversation, as opposed to limiting the number of people that get to make that choice. Absolutely. And, and invariably, if an alderman comes down one way or another on a project, he's going to, if it's a controversial project, he's going to upset people in the community. That's just the reality. Uh, I, I, Tony Preckwinkle, uh, okay, I'm going to keep this brief, but Tony Preckwinkle, I saw Tony Preckwinkle when she was the alderwoman of the uh, fourth ward, uh, Carlos, it was 13 years ago, 14 years ago. She was at a public meeting on the near south side and someone was talking about parking permits and they wanted parking permits in the neighborhood. And she had a philosophical opposition to parking permits. Dig that, a philosophical <laughs> opposition to parking permits, okay? You know where you reserve parking only for the people with the permits. So if you only live in the area, can you park there? And this guy goes, yeah, well, the people want the parking permits. And I couldn't believe Tony Preckwood's man. She said to that guy, and I'm paraphrasing it. She said, well, if you want parking permits, you better elect a different older person or an older person. She's person. honest. I'm She's like, honest. She's letting you know, I'm not going to be the one. And if you don't like it, go ahead, elect somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Damn. Yeah. You know what? Going back to the, the inauguration, that was one of my favorite moments was seeing the warm, loving applause that Tony Preckwinkle received from the thousands of people gathered at Credit Union One uh, Arena. You know, Tony went from being the sugar queen to the comeback queen. Uh, and, and you know me, Ben, I'm, I'm uh, Tony Preckwinkle's number one fan. And you were huge. Preckwinkle, uh, four years ago, you were huge for <laughs> Tony, no doubt about it. Man, one day we'll have a whole Tony Preckwinkle uh, show because I was I was having a conversation with someone who will remain unnamed, one, one of my lefty friends, uh, yesterday on, uh, while I was doing kicking my walk. And we went through all the officials who are Tony Preckwinkle connected. Follow me on this, Carlos. Uh, who either owe their position because she uh, sponsored them it, when the committeeman got together to select a replacement or she backed them when they were running. I mean, more than any, uh, Rom's gone. He's in Japan. His, it was all about Rom. You get what I'm saying? Rom was like, I'm here, I'm gone. Mayor Daly wouldn't even mention in Brandon's speech yesterday. You know, he's forgotten. Millennials don't even barely know who he is, but, 
Tony Preckwinkle. I mean, God dang. It was like yes. 10, at least, at least, Carlos, 10 state reps. And a lot of good ones. You know, Kim Fox, who took out Anita Alvarez and helped bring important progressive reforms to the state's attorney's office. Uh, Senator Robert Peters, uh, who has been such a strong and important voice on criminal justice reform uh, down in Springfield. Um, it's it's a lot of people who she has helped develop and, and bring into office uh, over many, many years. And uh, there's a lot to love. There's a lot to love about Tony Preckwinkle. Uh, and, and somewhere in a different timeline in Bizarro, Chicago, uh, Tony Preckwinkle was elected 2019. And it's the land of milk and honey uh, in 2023 uh, after four years of, of her uh, responsible leadership. But no, you all didn't want to listen. You all wanted to bring in the light, but I'll just I'll stop beating that dead horse. Yeah, let's go ahead. Do it. I voted for Lori Life. Go ahead. I deserve it. Go ahead. Do it. I don't care. I'm a big boy. I'm a big boy. I can handle it. Uh, we're really out of time here. And then this is a huge, uh, huge topic, asylum seekers. Uh, but get your thoughts on this. I yeah. everybody knows where I'm at. I, I'm like, well, I welcome them. Chicago laws. I don't know how many thousands of people over the last 10 years. Thank you, uh, Governor Abbott. You know, thank you. 8,000. I'm like, 8,000? We were ready to spend over $2 billion. Give it literally to Jeff Bezos to bring Amazon here for 50,000. There was a room for 50,000. new. We're going to bring 50,000 people to the city of Chicago. And we're crying over 8,000? I'm sorry, Carlos. I'm not feeling the crying here. I don't know. Help me out. You know, Help you know what? I don't feel like it's a vocal minority that are crying. Just the other day, actually today, I was walking down the street, and one of my neighbors stopped me and said, where can I take donations for the migrants? People are calling our office saying, where can we take donations for the migrants? Ward offices, churches, community centers across this city have stepped up to meet the need. And the people of the city of Chicago are welcoming people. We know our roots. Mayor Johnson yesterday spoke about his roots and the black community's roots with the great migration, fleeing the Jim Crow South, coming to the city of Chicago for opportunity. Mexican families, Puerto Rican families, we know our history. Indian families, Asian families, we know our history in this city as a city of migrants, of people that have come together to build a better life. And so there's no question that we're going to be a welcoming city. Actually, one of the first proclamations of Chicago as a welcoming city was when our Chicago City Council back in the 18th century said, we are not going to abide by the Fugitive Slave Act. If a slave comes to the city of Chicago, we're not sending them back south. This is a sanctuary, and we welcome everyone here. So I, I think that there's no question. Obviously, yes, there are some people um, on the right uh, and some people not on the right uh, that have said some uh, problematic things and, and some less than welcoming things. Um, but our nation desperately needs uh, a, a better uh, system in place, right? No city uh, can take this crisis on alone. Obviously, you know, uh, the Texas governor should not just be busing people here and flying people here with no plan. Uh, but I really do believe that it falls to the federal government uh, to come up with that plan and to come up with that funding. Now, I will say that many of our Congress people have been very good on this issue. Congresswoman Delia Ramirez and Congressman Chuy Garcia have been leading on this issue, fighting for, for more funding. I know others have as well. Um, I, I think that um, I, on the local level, I wish that the outgoing administration had been more helpful uh, in terms of coordinating with the incoming administration, um, despite uh, the lack of real support 
uh, from the outgoing administration. Um, the Brandon Johnson administration uh, has stood up a really good plan uh, to meet this crisis uh, head on. And that includes uh, retooling and revamping the Office of New Americans, which under Rahm and Lori was a one person office who issued press releases uh, to actually elevating it to a position of being a deputy mayor office within the mayoral administration and providing them with the tools and staffing and resources necessary. Um, and so Brandon Johnson uh, signed an executive order yesterday to stand up uh, this new office uh, of immigrant and refugee rights uh, to focus on protecting and integrating migrants into our, our uh, fabric of our city. Uh, and, and it's just, it's unacceptable that people are sleeping on the floor of police stations. I, I really am upset at the outgoing administration uh, you know, the, Lori issued that emergency declaration. It's like, where was this three weeks ago, four weeks ago, a month ago? Uh, you've been asleep for ever since you lost the election. Um, and, and also, that in reality, that, that declaration was a lot of, uh, emer uh, of, of emergency, was a lot of window dressing, because it's not like when you declare a disaster as a governor or as a president and it unlocks FEMA funding. No, she's just saying it's an emergency, right? There's no actual funding that, that comes along with it. Um, so I, I think the outgoing administration could have done a lot more. Um, you know, having uh, knowledge of what the incoming administration has been doing, uh, I, I think that you know they have set up a plan to really meet uh, this this moment uh, and and meet it head on. And and now it's it's about implementing it very quickly in the coming days. Now that they actually have a piece of the office. All right, and I'll close with it. Come on, Joe Biden, you're running for re-election. This is this is a blue state issue. I'm going to break it down to politics. This is a blue state issue. Red state. It's a red state, Texas, that's sending uh, asylum seekers to blue states like Illinois and New York. OK, Eric Adams is in the same position. We mentioned him already. Kick in the money. Take the pressure off these mayors. Take the pressure off these aldermen. Take the pressure off these taxpayers. If Gregory Abbott wants to send uh, asylum seekers to Illinois and New York, that's his insanity. But you got to help the people in Illinois and New York absorb the new residents they have. Uh, and you should have helped us with our our city and all the issues we had. That's a whole other story. But <laughs> you you can't forget the federal role in this. Uh, well, and, and the last thing, too, is the sanctions against Venezuela are making that economy scream. And there's no question that the Maduro government has uh, not done a good job of handling uh, you know, so many of the, the crises that they face, but the sanctions that the U.S. government places on their economy are not helping, nor are they toppling the government. So all we're doing is helping to create the very refugee crisis that we then say, oh, my gosh, look at all the people at the border. Oh, my gosh. It's like, yeah, because we're punishing them and we're punishing their economy. We're making it impossible for them to get medicine. We're making it impossible for them to import the goods that they need uh, to function. Um, so there's no question that there'd be a lot fewer refugees coming from Venezuela if we ended the sanctions. And I think that's one of the things that often is not discussed in this conversation is that we ourselves are helping to create this crisis with our foreign policy. Yeah, I would take the word often out of that sentence. It's never discussed. All right. Carlos, thank you so much for taking time. You're really busy these days. Floor leader, zoning chair and all of in the 35th Ward. And I got to say. Things are looking up for you, young man. Four years ago, I remember having a conversation with you in the middle of that campaign. You remember that conversation? Oh, yeah. Like a down moment. 
Uh, and things have changed in the city of Chicago. Where that's just uh, for once, I'm going to put aside the gloomy, doomy Ben and be pes- uh, optimistic for a change, not pessimistic. And so, big moment yesterday with the inauguration of Brandon Johnson and his particularly that declaration about the mental health clinic. So, um, yeah, let's see where it takes us. All right, Carlos. All right. All right. Very good. Thank you very much, Carlos. I also want to thank producer Chris. Outstanding job as he always does. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more great content all at chicagoreader.com. Follow the Ben Jarofsky show on Instagram at Benny J show and all over the internet on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.